what's up guys uh this is the formerly named commissioner quarter podcast now named the collier shot podcast with me carson collier um decided to make a name change just because there you you look up commissioner corner on spotify there's like 12 of them so figured it was time to make a change we got to rebrand we got to individualize Kind of, you know, set ourselves apart in the market. You know, it's a very popular market. A lot of people coming into the podcast game. So I want to make myself stand out. Uh, hopefully, you know, that and, you know, some well thought out takes will really help me make a name for myself in this industry. Uh, that was that was sarcasm. It doesn't really come across over audio. Um, today, went over a little bit of Sean Payton news. He's going to the Broncos. Um, talked about Bijan Robinson, some, I'm dipping my toe in some hot take water with him, um, going forward. I have very high expectations. We'll put it at that. I don't want to spoil it. And then, uh, after that, we play a little game, a little buy, buy low, sell low. A couple of guys that, you know, had some not so great seasons. Want to see like what we want to do with them going forward. So, uh, you know, make sure wherever you are listening, subscribe. It's probably just Spotify. Follow me on Spotify. Rate it. Five stars if you like it. Um, four stars if you don't. And then, yeah, let's get going. Let's get started with kind of the bigger – well, D'Amico Ryan signed with the Houston Texans today. That's a big coaching story, but probably like the more of the bombshell news that dropped today was that Sean Payton was going to – from the New Orleans States and Denver Broncos. I think that overall, if you look at this, this is a win for both teams. If you're the Denver Broncos, you have to do everything in your power to validate trading for Russell Wilson. Sure, you had, this year they would have had the 29th pick in the draft. That pick was 29 overall. That's great. What In what reality are you picking somebody at 29 that's going to alter your franchise on the same level as Sean Payton? That's kind of my – that's my thought process when I look at this trade. People are saying, oh, well, first is too much. When you're getting a coach that can change the entire culture of the organization who is one of the best offensive play callers – in the league, you're trying to revitalize a guy's career here. Russell Wilson was terrible last year. You know, you, the other thing about this is Sean Payne actually calls the plays. You know, you look at Nathaniel Hackett when he was the last time he called plays, he didn't call plays in Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers when he was rattling off MVPs. The last time he called plays was with, with the Jacksonville Jaguars, and that was from 2016 to 2018. 2016, they were 25th scoring offense in the league. 27. In 2017, they were fifth, but they were 17th in passing. They had the best defense in the league. It's just constantly giving them the ball back in good spots. And then the next season when the Jags defense took a step back, 
Look at that. They're 27th again. At best, this dude is an he was an average play caller. So you bring this guy in with Russell Wilson. And of course, they they were just a very bad offense. You know, you look at the Saints during that same time period. 2016, they were the first in scoring. 2017, second in scoring. 2018, they fell off. You know, they were only eighth. So that's what? I mean, that's 20 spots ahead of where Hackett normally ends up every single year. So, you know, before, you know, with New Orleans, when he was, you know, rallying off these number one offenses, Sean Payton had Drew Brees. There's going to be all the comps of the short Hall of Fame level quarterback. It's a little, it's going to get overblown, but there is something there. He's had experience working with guys on the smaller end, be able to manipulate the pocket, be able to give him lanes to throw over the middle of the field, which is something that Russell Wilson has historically struggled with. That's why when you looked at, you know, in fantasy this year, a lot of one of the reasons people liked Sutton more than Judy was because Judy ran all of his routes to the middle of the field. Russ doesn't throw to the middle of the field. So anyway, just being able to kind of have a guy with experience in that, you know, working with a player of that stature, I feel like is going to be very good for us. Now, on the other hand, you look at the New Orleans Saints. Sean Payne was never coming back. There was no scenario where he is coming back to coach your team. So any sort of return you could get, should you should count that as a win. The fact that you got a first and a second round pick from a team, you know, the Broncos have, would have had a top five pick this year if they had their own pick. You know, so it's like a player, like guys like I, who's somebody like, like in the NBA, this happens a lot where, you know, guys are just leaving. They're gone. Like Anthony Davis, when he was with the Pelicans, he was gone. That's why they traded him to the Lakers. You get all those picks back because, you know, it's like we're either, either going to get nothing for this player or we're going to just get as much value as possible. The New Orleans Saints felt that this was the most value they could get possible. And this is a good deal for them. You're getting a first-round pick. Like, you gave your first-round pick away this year in last year's draft to go get Chris Olave because you thought you were a Chris Olave away from winning a Super Bowl or making a run, and that clearly wasn't the case. So, you know, being able to recoup that pick, you know, it's the 29th overall pick. might be difficult, but now you have a piece where you can make a move where, say, like an Anthony Richardson falls to the early 20s. You can go make a move now. You can go get a guy for the future. You can go do different things with that. It gives you more flexibility as a franchise. They've proven they will mortgage that pick. Like, they've already proven last year that they will move that pick if it means that they can – kind of win now like the this roster is built for right now they're 50 something million dollars over the cap they want to win right now so we'll see what they do with that and then finally for fantasy purposes we talked about it a little bit on our quarterback episode when we were talking about the rankings about the soft launch for the russell wilson for mvp campaign it's it's full go now it's hard hard go I think you get a guy like Sean Payne there who has experience calling offenses, calling elite offenses. They don't have bad weapons. They have good weapons on this team. The last two games that Russell Wilson had without Nathaniel Hackett, he scored 24 points a game. Like we look at, like we talked earlier about like the Mahomes is the Allens. That's where those guys are scoring. So if he, I mean, that was even with just non-Hackett, you get a guy, an elite guy in there. Maybe we can start to get back to, 2019 Russ, 2020 Russ, where the let Russ cook era where he's, you know, throwing bombs, dropping it in the bucket, throwing touchdowns, winning games more specifically. 
But, you know, for him, I think this is just a great situation for him. For receivers, your Jerry Judy's, your Cortland Suttons, even your Tim Patrick's. We forget about Tim Patrick because he was hurt this year. But before last year, I thought Cortland Sutton was going to be the guy, like I said earlier. Just simple math of Cortland Sutton runs the outside, Russ throws the outside. That was kind of the case early on, but you go through the season. Judy Sneaky had a great stretch down towards the end of the year. He finished as a top 25 wide receiver. He was wide receiver 22. One of the stats I've really kind of fallen in love with is points per touch. Just how many times, like how many points every time this guy has a ball, how many points is he scoring? Judy had more points per touch than Justin Jefferson. Not obviously not saying they're he's the same player, but it's just something to look at when you have guys with lower volumes, just a little bit of the potential, like, oh, they if they were to get a higher volume, they could take a step and move up an entire tier or two when it comes to draft purposes. And then, you know, again, with Judy, last 10 games of the season, he was also basically even with, in points per game with A.J. Brown. Again, you know, he had three touchdowns in the game towards the end of the year. I'm not saying he's as good as A.J. Brown. But, again, we will see what happens you get a experienced play caller who's called these successful offenses before, who has used, you know, great route runners. That's the thing that everybody loves about Jerry Judy is his route running. He had Michael Thomas for a while, another great route runner, probably not on the same tier again, but he has experience using those type players. And finally, we have Javante Williams. We'll see. I'm always skeptical of guys the first year off the ACL injuries, the first year off the ACL tears. I don't expect him to be Alvin Kamara, you know, they're different players. He doesn't have the pass catching ability of a Camara. I don't think really anybody does besides like your McCaffrey's or your Eckler's. Um, I would look and think of him more as like a Mark Ingram type. They're similar body types, probably going to be similar targets. You know, his rookie year, Williams had like 58 targets. I think he would have been around that range. He'll probably get up to 60 or 70. He didn't score last year in the limited time. He fumbled twice on the goal line in the Seattle game. So hopefully you'll get be able to get in the end zone more. I like to think about when I think about players, the touchdowns aren't a like product of their ability. The touchdowns are normally just a product of the offense. So if he's in a better offense, they'll have more scoring opportunities, get in the red zone more, he'll be able to convert on some of those bigger plays. Overall, I think this is a win for everybody. It's a win for the Broncos. It's a win for the Saints. To win for fantasy football, we get Russell Wilson back. We get more good players, hopefully. And then overall, just a win for football fans. It's hopefully one less bad team that we have to watch on Sunday, one less bad quarterback we have to watch. Today, Daniel Jeremiah released his top 50 players. He does this like probably about four times. He'll update the list leading up to the draft. Top 50 prospects. And it just went Jalen Carter. Will Anderson, Bryce Young, and then at four, he had Texas running back Bijan Robinson. Now, it's a little abnormal for him, especially when you look at his list in the past to have running backs this high. He had Brees Hall at 28 last year. He had Etienne and Najee at 19 and 20 the year before that. 2019, I think, was like pretty high. He had Josh Jacobs at eight, actually, and then the last time he actually had a running back within that top five area, top five prospects was, was Saquon Barkley. So you look, you can say, oh, well, it's the quality of the players in the class and all this stuff. Well, Brees Hall was an elite, measurable guy at the combine, was 
in the same class as like your Saquons, your Derrick Henrys, your ETNs, those type guys. And he was 28. So I don't think this is just a matter of, you know, oh, this these class this class is better than this class. These class guys wouldn't be as high. I don't think it has anything to do with that. I think it's just the fact that Bijan Robinson might just be a, a Saquon Barkley level player. And I think when we go into drafts coming up in, you know, August, September, whenever you do yours, especially redraft leagues, I think we have to kind of adjust the way we look at it and put him on that Saquon Barkley scale. When you go back to 2018 with Saquon, he was consensus top five running back pre-draft. ESPN, the other, a bunch of the other places I looked at. I know I know for a fact in the league I had with my high school buddies, it was the first year we did it. Saquon Barkley went like six. I think there was like four RBs and a wide receiver taken ahead of him. You know, so I've been – I think there's a chance history repeats itself. Saquon finished the RB1 that year. That was his rookie year. That was the breakout year. I think there could be a chance that history repeats itself. I've been messing around with running back rankings. There's a lot still to, you know, a lot of pieces to fall where guys are going to go free agent wise and stuff like that. But I have him as my fifth ranked running back. And right now it's, I have Eckler, I have McCaffrey, I have Saquon and I have Josh Jacobs. Other than that, I mean, I have Bijan there at five and you could talk me out of every single person ahead of him and I could there's a good chance by August he is my number one running back it sounds insane the guy's never played a snap in the NFL but right now there are reasons why every single one of them I would put behind Bijan Robinson like you look at Eckler they're bringing in Kellen Moore it's a new system it could be great it could be terrible you know he uses Pollard in the past game to an extent, but will it be to the same extent where Eckler gets like over hundred targets a year? Like he doesn't, he's getting 190 carries. Like he's not breaking 200 carries. So we're going to have to expect that same volume. You don't know if Kellen Moore wants to do that. They might draft a guy who's more workers and you might see a Pollard Zeke relationship like that. So we don't know. Maybe he ha- takes a step back when it comes to workload. He's also 28 years old. 27 is normally that year where you start to see the decline in all the running backs. So we'll see with that. I mean, also 2021, he scored 20 touchdowns last year. He scored or this year. He scored 18 touchdowns. Is he just going to keep scoring at that high rate? Like I'm sure the offense is going to be great. Like I said earlier, I think those touchdowns are a product of the offense, not necessarily the player, but I don't think it's going to get much better than that. And if his workload decreases, like we, I just said, it might. I mean, you never know. I think there's a ch- chance that he takes a step back. Same thing with McCaffrey, 27, history of injuries. He's also in a system. Kyle Shanahan runs those running backs into the ground. Those guys get hurt at a very high rate. And, you know, guy with a history of injuries, that's a little concerning to me, especially at age 27. He's taken a lot of hits over the years. He's also on a team, you know, they have three other guys. So in the red zone, Debo could be getting handoffs. He could be catching slants. Ayuk's going to get open. He's a great player. Kittle, if it's Purdy, Kittle looks for Purdy, or excuse me, Purdy looks for Kittle a lot in the red zone. So that all of a sudden, 
there's three other guys that are taking away touchdown opportunities, taking away red zone opportunities. And it's also a team where Brock Purdy tore his UCL. He's out six months. We don't know what's going to happen with him. Trey Lance had another surgery a couple months ago for his ankle. Jimmy G probably won't even be on the team. So there's question mark after question mark after question mark in that quarterback room. If they have poor quarterback play, I mean, we've seen them kind of work, but like, we'll see with that. I, again, I'm not, it's, I'm more concerned about the injury stuff with McCaffrey. And then when you look at, you know, Saquon and Jacobs, the other two guys I had ahead of Bijan Robinson right now, both of those guys are free agents. Like they could just go wherever and it could just be just a completely different situation where they're not going to get the same looks, the same workload they got. I mean, Josh Jacobs had 393 touches this year. He got the ball 300, almost 400 times. There's no guarantee that even if he stays with Las Vegas, that he's going to get the ball 400 times again. And also, they they don't have a QB. Like, who's playing? Derek Carr's on the Pro Bowl roster. He's not on the Raiders roster next year. So we'll see what happens. I mean, Saquon also, he's has a history of getting banged up. He was banged up all year. He's kind of a little rough down the stretch. Um, don't necessarily blame him. I think it was a shoulder thing. But, you know, I'm sure that, you know, both those guys will be back and they'll be good players. But you look at Bijan Robinson. He's 21 years old. He's younger than me. It's terrifying. As somebody that's just graduated college, there are NFL players that are going to be younger than me. And it's like, you look at him. He's going to go to the combine. He's going to measure He's going to be in that Brees Hall area where he's, you know, in the 99th percentile for all this different stuff. And people are going to be talking about him with the Najis, the Derrick Henrys and all that. And also, they you can talk about positional value. You know, don't take running backs in the first round. The guy's going to go in the first round. And the team that takes him in the first round, they are going to want to use him in a capacity where they're like, this guy's going to be one of the best players on our offense. We're going to give him the ball as much as possible. And he that's – the volume is, you know, what we say about good players. Good players get the ball. So he's got the big playability. He averaged six yards of carry in college. He averaged 16 yards of reception in college. I think that's kind of crazy for a running back. And, you know, it's, I don't know, it's very early. Right now, it's January 31st. If you, if I found out from, if, you know, time machines are created in the next five months, July 31st, Carson comes back and tells me right here, right now, that, hey, I have Bijan Robinson as my first-ranked running back. I, I wouldn't be shocked at all. I will somehow be talked in to Bijan Robinson as my number one overall running back by the end of July. All right, so quick little game I want to play. We'll see how this goes. Might be something we can do during the season as well. I call it buy low and sell low instead of buy low, sell high. These are players that just kind of, they just kind of sucked last year. And I want to kind of, you know, decide, you know, is this somebody that I'm going to put the chips in the middle of the table, say like, I want this guy on my team next year or somebody that I just don't want any parts of. So starting off, we're going to go with Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor finished outside the top 30 last year. He was the consensus number one pick. Until there was, you know, there was a little, uh, little, little McCaffrey hive kind of pushed towards the end, but you know, for the most part, Jonathan Taylor, he was the RB one leading up to drafts. 
I'm going to sell on Jonathan Taylor. I think he's a great player. I was in on him his rookie year. I played in a keeper league. I drafted him his rookie year. I kept him for the second. He finishes the RB1. I had the RB1 in the seventh round. It was pretty sweet. But overall, I'm just really concerned about what's going on in Indianapolis. They have a lot of issues. Their, their offensive line was just bad this year. At one point, they were, you know, high 20s, right? Like, bo- like bottom of the league in pass protection, run protection. All these different metrics show that they're just getting old. They're not able to provide the same push that they did last year and the year before that. Also, they don't have any other weapons. I mean, the offense is just kind of stagnant. You had guys like Sam Ellinger throwing the ball. You don't really have anything else going on besides Pittman. You can't stretch the field. Everybody's packed in the box and all that stuff. I You see it with guys like Damian Pierce. If you don't have a like a stable pass-catching ability, you get down in these games when you're on these bad teams, and there's just – it's going to be very hard to dig yourself out of a hole and get consistent production from week to week. And finally, I mean, there's a good chance Jeff Saturday's back next year. I mean, I wouldn't put it past the Colts to hire him. Jim Irsay is a lunatic. He wants somebody that's going to just kind of be a yes man. So I feel like that's that has red, that situation has red flags all over it. Again, I like John Taylor. Seems like a great person, but I just can't bring myself to draft that guy in the situation that he's in. Next, I had DeAndre Swift as a candidate for this game. I'm going to buy DeAndre Swift. I got clowned for taking him the first round in my one league this past season. You know, everybody was making fun of me. You know, that's way too high. You reached all this different stuff. It appeared that way about like, I mean, the first two weeks I felt really good about it. After that, it was kind of, I kind of whiffed. Looking back on it now, he's still a very efficient player. And it's kind of like scary to look at. We talked about it earlier. I like the stat points per touch. Just, you know, you look at running backs a little different than receivers, especially in PPR. For running backs, if you have a point per touch over one, that's like elite. That Those are the elite guys. Look at the guys with the high volume who've also done it is like – Christian McCaffrey and Pollard are both like right above one. Eckler led the league with guys with a certain amount of carries. He was at 1.2. DeAndre Swift was at 1.3. So if you give him the same workload as just his teammate, Jamal Williams. Jamal Williams had like 240 touches like that. DeAndre Swift finishes 0.2 points behind Christian McCaffrey. Again, we talked about this with Judy and Justin Jefferson. These stats don't necessarily mean something. It's like, oh, well, if you, he was this and this. And still, that's just remarkable. Like, he's never going to get the goal line work. I, I get that. It's not going to happen. But I would love to see him just a small step forward, just a little bit more. We'll see. Like, I think that's going to happen. Jamal Williams is getting a little bit older. I think that this year was probably a good thing. The offense is going to take another step under Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson being back is going to be huge for that Lions team overall. I think if he's healthy, DeAndre Swift is a guy I would not hate having on my team next year. Not going to draft him in the first round, but I wouldn't have hate having him on my team. And then I don't even know if this one's a buy at this point. I think that 
it's basically like finding money on the ground. You don't actually have to buy anything. It's just free. Um, Michael Thomas at this point is probably going to be the most undervalued player. It's, I think it's, I can see this going two ways. It's either going to be exactly like last year where everybody said, don't draft Michael Thomas. He's always hurt. Or it's going to be everybody finally learns their lesson and says, yeah, just don't draft him. He doesn't play anymore. But, I mean, the guy's still elite. Like, he's he score in the games he actually shows up, he scores like 17 points a game, which is, is crazy stuff. Like, it's like he, since the year he broke the catch record, I mean, it's like he just barely plays, but he still has it. He's not a guy that, like, all these injuries should really affect the way he plays. He's not like a burner. He's not going running go routes down the sideline. It's like a Keenan Allen where it's like he's not going to beat you with speed. He's going to use efficient, crisp route running in the short intermediate intermediate areas. That's why they call him Slant Boy. I there's also a chance he gets traded. You never know. They save like a million dollars if they did. The Saints are in cap hell, so I wouldn't shock me with that team. Um, but we'll see. I, like I think that like. Sometimes injuries are just random. You never know with guys that it's every single year. But I think after about two or three years with Michael Thomas, I think we can, you know, maybe not buy, just like kind of dip our toes in the water. Just, you know, don't have him at the top of any lists. But if he's there and it's between him and somebody else, I would I would definitely take the upside of having Michael Thomas on my team. So that was the buy low, sell low segment. Only did three guys. I think this would be good during the season because then we get guy weeks where people have like one point stinkers and we can, you know, have these conversations and stuff like that. So we'll try to work this in, work in some, you know, tight ends next week because, you know, Kyle Pitts is kind of the perfect one for this game. I'm now realizing we can do some of that next week, too. So, let you know, I don't know if you can review on Spotify or tight stuff out. Um, if you like that, let me know. And we'll we'll keep going with it if you do. So that was it for the show for today. Um, hopefully you guys like this one. I did bring up last time I was talking about like how everybody thought that Demar Hamlin was a clone and all the conspiracy theories and stuff like that that were going around. He posted like a six minute video like the day after that stuff started to get big. So. I think that one's kind of debunked. I will end with this one conspiracy theory that I always really like. It's actually been like disproven, but it, that which kind of sucks. But so I'm an or I'm from Baltimore area, like just outside Baltimore. I'm a Orioles fan. I'm a Ravens fan. Apparently, there was a game during Cal Ripken's like twenty four hundred game straight streak where. I guess the lights over first base went out. Like there was like a blackout in the stadium. So they had to like cancel the game. There were a lot of people that used to say that um, that was because Cal Ripken caught Kevin Costner having an affair with his wife and they got in some big brawl. Um, So they disproved that. There's like pictures of them actually at the game that night. You know, as a conspiracy theorist, I don't believe that. I think those pictures are doctored. And I like, I'm going to stay believing that Cal can beat up Kevin Costner that day. So um, that's it for today for the Collier Shot podcast now. Um, make sure you guys subscribe, follow, 
do whatever. And uh, we will see you Friday.